What's up, peeps? This is the Ebb and Flow podcast, and I am Ebon Britton. It's excellent to be with you guys. Uh, today's episode is a great one. It is a brief history of yoga, yoga in the body temple, specifically. Uh, this is a conversation with my brother, Gus, my roll dog, my on-again, off-again co-host of this podcast. Before I send you off to enjoy it, I want to read you a little bit from Letting Go, The Pathway of Surrender by David R. Hawkins. People are desperate to stay unconscious. We observe how often people flick on the television set the minute they enter a room and then walk around in a dreamlike state, constantly being programmed by the data poured into them. People are terrified of facing themselves. They dread even a moment of aloneness. Thus, the constant frantic activities, the endless socializing, talking, texting, reading, music playing, working, traveling, sightseeing, shopping, overeating, gambling, movie going, pill taking, drug using, and cocktail partying. Talk about this a lot. So this book, David Hawkins, literally every single book he writes fills my heart with light love, and hope. It's powerful stuff. He's one of my all-time favorite beings who's ever walked this planet. Highly recommend all of his books. Um, So hey, this is a good one. All about yoga. Haven't specifically dove into the topic of yoga. It's very near and dear to my heart. My blood runs hot with the ancient yogic philosophy. Um, That being said, y'all, we got merch, higherpowerworkshop.com, all kinds of good stuff available there. Also, I'd love to see you guys join us on Patreon. Join the Power Tribe. Got bonus ebb and flow content, guided meditations, yoga flows, breathwork routines, training programs, one-on-one coaching. I'm offering the ebb and flow one-on-one coaching there. There is limited availability for that. So if you're interested, jump in y'all jump on it. All right, peeps. Hope you guys have an excellent rest of your day standing in your highest greatness for the greatest good of the universe. Till next time, I'll see y'all on the flip. Peace. You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source. The key of imagination, your admission. Access to the enlightened dimension. A gateway at the junction of darkness and light. The place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind give way to a life in constant flux, only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come, testing times may go. This is the ebb and flow. What's up, everybody? This is the ebb and flow podcast. It's your guy. (laughs) The ex-NFLer turned yogi. Yeah. 
Ebon Breton with <laughs> my roll dog. You know who it is. <laughs> you know what time it is. We could do a whole episode that's just an oeuvre of melodies from our childhood. Yeah, we could. Right before this, Gus just Gus just started channeling Diddy from way back when, all in the family album. Yeah. Mommy Vanaki. You know what song is really good is um every every breath you take. Yeah. Every breath. Yeah. It's an amazing. I mean both versions are actually really good. The Sting version and Well, Biggie had just Puffy passed, right? When that album came out. That was sort of all in Luna shh. Yeah. We're recording a podcast, Luna. Luna. It's enough. Luna, come. Please. There's nobody there. Come on. Well, we want to talk about yoga today, right? Yes, sir. Don't we talk about that every every podcast, though? Or no? Yes, we do. <clears throat> so we've got yoga. We've got the Olympics. We've got the Life Worth Dying For capsule. What do you mean we've got the Olympics? I don't know. We had just mentioned the Olympics earlier oh, today. Yeah. Olympics How sort of lackluster it felt. Yeah. Um, and I felt more and more, I feel, especially with this podcast and as my intention for my life is becoming more and more crystallized. I'm just exhausted by all the the insanity of the world, and that just is never-ending. So I thought today we would hang in the solutions, hang in the positivity, hang in the light, brought me to yoga. You just had a profound experience in a yoga class this past Sunday. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about it, dude? Um... It's not, it wasn't really anything that I hadn't fully experienced before, but something has happened, particularly with Bikram yoga, the 26 and two, it's no longer called Bikram because Bikram's been extradited from the yoga community, basically for exiled, exiled for various reasons. And, but it was a 26 and two class. The room is very hot. What is it? Is it 125 in there? 115 some days it feels like it's yeah 105 other days it feels like it's 130 i think there's every time i try to ask somebody it's a good uh, question nobody knows i'm like isn't there a temp that this thing there is i think nobody knows i think it's 115 i could be wrong but our home studio fucking hot yeah so this the studio that we usually go to the teacher's give you a little break and open the doors and just that just that little bit of cool air is just so refreshing but in this studio i went to on sat on sunday which was a different studio they did not open the doors and there's something that happens and i always know it's going to happen and i knew it was going to happen and it happened if i don't go to the 26 and 2 hot yoga class for a couple weeks I go in there and the next day 
I've got like for two days or cause I'm still feeling it. I have like a huge fever hmm. and like everything is kind of vibrating and it's like, I've been completely detoxed and wrung out. Yeah. It's like, I'm curious, I'm curious what happens when you do a Native American sweat lodge. I'm sure it's that. Because it's got to be a similar, it might even be more intense because you're doing these postures. Right. That ring you out even more. Yeah. So I was just, I mean, I've just been, you know, I don't know. Any insights? Any, what were the sensations? Well, you know, what were the thoughts that went through your head? The 26 and two flow, super powerful. Yeah. You've got the standing series. You've got the floor series, which would, which begins with the spine strengthening series. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a handful of other postures on the ground that to me, I've realized are reconfigurations of the standing posture series yeah yeah back bends yeah um spinal traction right well what's so incredible about the 26 and 2 is that it's the same it's the same class every time Mm -hmm. but it's a completely different class every time yeah i mean when do you go in there and you have the same experience. Not once. I mean, you can have like the, like, like I was saying, like I've had this experience of feeling wrung out, but it's just like, it's incredible. Well, your first time in a long time is always the same. Yeah. You yeah. get your ass kicked. Right. Right. And you're totally wrung out mm-hmm. and you're just obliterated. Yeah. Maybe not even physically. Yeah. But you're, you're just. It's a ceremony, dude. Yeah. It takes you down. Yeah. It takes you right down to the fucking center of yourself, and there's no escaping it. Right. Because ultimately, there's going to be that moment in the room where you, you're you thinking to yourself, I need to leave. I, right. I, I, I can't be here. I need yeah. to get somewhere else. This is too hot. I'm going to fucking combust. Yeah. Well, there's a point. Kind of throughout the class that can come up, but for me, this class particularly, when you transition to the floor, and I was laying down and I was looking at the ceiling, and I, <laughs> you know, I remember less conscious period of my life when I would go to this this same studio, same class, I would leave the class, not like leave and go home, but I'd have to go out of the room, and you know, one of the things they say in the at the twenty six and two studios, they say. You don't have to do the postures. Just don't leave your mat. Yeah. Which is interesting. And and you really have that, don't you? That journey of where where am I going to go? There's no, I'm, you know, I'm either going to run or I'm going to be here. And you said something, something really, you know, great in the kitchen of the, like the interplay of your heart and your breath. Yeah. Which to me, the whole class is, is, is. I don't know. That's kind of the the foundation of the hot yoga class. Yeah, absolutely. You got to tap into your breath. And to the point of why I really wanted to talk yoga on this podcast in particular, we've never done this. Every conversation we have is through the lens of 
yogic philosophy because that's just who we are naturally, organically. But we've never really talked about yoga, the practice, the art of yoga. Yoga means union. We'll get into that more a little bit later. But that feeling that you're talking about, that everyone has in one shade or another, especially in the hot room, that is the experience of being confronted with yourself. And that is what yoga is really all about. In the West, we've heard Sadhgurus talk about it a million times. We've heard all the gurus talk about it a million times. In the West, yoga has been bastardized. The, the thought form of yoga in the West has been interpreted to be this physical exercise fitness practice. But yoga is so much deeper than that. You're right. Um, the, and what I mean by that is the postures are a gateway into the self. The postures are a vehicle to dive into, to excavate the layers of the conscious mind to tap into the subconscious. Because throughout any yoga practice, think about, I mean, just doing yoga at home or watching like a yoga video on TV and following along or just going to any yoga class, you are inevitably confronted with pain and discomfort. And all of that is necessary in the process of peeling back the layers of self to get to the bottom, to get to the source, the root of who you are and what you are. That's why I love it so much. And what are your feelings on this? I wonder what percentage of people out, let's say outside of India, or we could just say in America, but it could be Western cultures. I don't know, UK, France, um, you know, whatever. I wonder what percentage only associate or only think of yoga as postures. Mm. You know? Yeah. I think a lot of people. I, I would imagine it's growing to where more people are knowing about like, oh, yoga is like a really vast uh, science vast spiritual science like way deeper than just postures um well here's what's interesting that i didn't know until you tapped me into this book living at the source the yoga teachings of vivekananda and then starting to read this book it turns out vivekananda was the first guy, the first yogi mystic to bring yoga to America. Mm. He came here in 1893 mm -hmm. 
and he gave a speech at the World Parliament of Religions in Chicago. Right. But it had nothing to do with any physical practice. Yeah, yeah. He just brought the yogic philosophy to America mm. and blew people's fucking minds. Yeah. About what the human experience is. He just broke it totally fucking down. And as we've talked about, Vivekananda, Swami Vivekananda was a disciple of Ramakrishna, a very high saint in India. And Vivekananda came from a pretty well-to-do family in Calcutta. And he was a very high intellectual dude, was very much interested in the Western paradigm, the Western thought paradigm was highly educated, but they really, they don't know much about his life story. There isn't much there. Mm -hmm. He died really young. He died in his thirties and he came to America when he was like 30. Mm. Um, but all of that being said, highly educated, he found himself walking the streets of India, seeking out saints and holy men, trying to find the answer. Mm -hmm. And he came upon Ramakrishna. And that's who basically sort of just completely broke him down. Mm -hmm. And who helped him tap into the universal truth of himself. And taught him the 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 yogic way or the path of yoga yeah. um but it was interesting to me that yoga was first introduced in america not as a physical exercise yeah but as a psychological philosophy yeah that is interesting as a spiritual philosophy right open-heartedness open-mindedness yeah. Tapping into the infinity of self, which is that we are all gods manifest in physical form and that our duty here is to create the life of our vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting that it began as um, something other than Hatha Yoga. Hatha. Hatha. Which is the which is the postural yoga. Yes. But even like um Ramdas, Ramdas was not I mean he, he talks about doing Hatha a, a little bit, but he wasn't like a Hatha yogi. Right. Bhagavan talks about doing Hatha a little bit in his in his book. Um but I guess it was more It's a way of being. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about the postural yoga, the Hatha yoga. When did that really take off in the U.S.? I guess it. I'm imagining Bikram was one of the real kickstarters for that, right? Well, I'll give you this this brief timeline. So after Vivekananda came and blew people's fucking minds, and it says here, this is from yogajournal.com. It's really, it's a good article. Good, quick little article. 
After Vivekananda's visit, our love affair with the East was born, and so began a steady stream of Eastern ideas flowing West. In the 19, in 1920, Paramahansa Yogananda addressed a conference of religious liberals in Boston. He was sent by his guru, the ageless Babaji, to spread the message of Kriya Yoga to the West. Now, what's Kriya Yoga? Kriya is like these very intense ascetic, ascetic practices. Right, right, yeah. yeah. The Bhagavan talks about it in the book. Him and his first guru, they'd be on the riverbanks and they'd drink tons and tons of salt water and make themselves vomit. And right. That was the kind of purge, purging experience. That's a Kriya Yoga. Yeah. Swallowing the towels. Right. To cleanse the digestive tract and the stomach and pulling them back out. Yeah. <laughs> In the ancient yogic texts, there's all kinds of shit like that. Yeah. Um, various breathing exercises, I believe, are Kriya Yoga practices. Yeah. So Kriya Yoga is all about tapping into... Tapping into yourself from through the vehicle of these ascetic exercises. Mm -hmm. uh, Yogananda, of course, wrote Autobiography of a Yogi, which I've got to tap into. Mm -hmm. Check this out, dude. In 1924, the United States Immigration Service imposed a quota on Indian immigration, making it impossible for Easterners to travel to America. So Westerners were forced to travel to the East if they sought after yogic teachings. Mm, wow. I wonder why yeah. that is. It doesn't give you the... the... Yeah, no. So then in 1947, Theos Bernard returned from India and published Hatha Yoga, the report of a personal experience. Mm. It was a major source book for yoga in the 1950s and is still widely read today. Mm. That same year, Indra Devi opened a yoga studio in Hollywood. Mm. <laughs> That's funny. Her three popular books had housewives from New Jersey to Texas standing on their heads in their bedrooms. Mm. She was the first Westerner to study with Sri Krishna Macharya mm, yeah. and the first to bring his lineage to the West. Uh, Sri Krishnamacharya went on to become the grandfather of American yoga. His students included BKS Iyengar, Patabi Jwa, and TKV Desi Kachar. Yeah, I think it's Patabi Joyce, and then B Patabi B Joyce, and then BK BK. I think it's that. I, I remember mom. Iyengar. I remember mom correcting you with that. And then Iyengar wrote Light on Yoga. Which be, yeah, which we're going to get to that. Yeah, Richard Hittleman pioneered yoga on television in 1950 <laughs> when he returned from studies in India to teach yoga in New York. Although he was a student of the sage Ramana Maharshi and very much a spiritual yogi, he presented a non-religious yoga for the American mainstream with an emphasis on its physical benefits. Mm. He hoped students would then be motivated to learn yoga philosophy and meditation. The Baptiste family begins its dynasty in the mid-50s. Yoga was established on the West Coast in the mid-1950s with Walt and Magana Baptiste 
San Francisco studio. <laughs> Walt's father. Did you know any of this? No, this is funny. Walt's father had been influenced by Vivekananda and Walt and Magana were students of Yogananda. Hmm. The family yoga dynasty continues today with their children, Baron and Sherry. <laughs> I think this is a picture of Iyengar right here, isn't it? Swami Vishnu Devananda, in 1958, a disciple of Swami Sivananda Saraswati, arrived in San Francisco, sponsored by the artist Peter Max. His 1960 book, The Complete Illustrated Book of Yoga, became an essential guidebook for many practitioners. I'd like to see that. So then Ramana, uh, oh, excuse me, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, Mm -hmm. his transcendental meditation came around in the 60s. BKS Iyengar, 1966, published Light on Yoga, Mm. which is still considered to be the Bible of serious asana practice. So the asanas are the postures. Yeah, the asanas are what you practice in hatha now hatha is the umbrella of all the asana postures yeah like asanas yeah like there's different there's different kinds of yogic practices like there's bhakti yoga there's hatha yoga there's kriya yoga there's karma yoga Mm. there's different kind there's raja yoga Raja means royal. Raja is like all that you practice all of them. There's all these different kinds of yogic practices. Mm -hmm. So then. Iyengar's emphasis was on anatomical precision. He was a fucking hard ass. Yeah, in Noah's in, that, right? yeah, in Noah's training, we had to read light on yoga. I mean, Gus, it should be acknowledged you are a certified yoga teacher. Yeah, I did a two hundred hour teacher training. Very, very meticulous with Noah Maze, who's a, who's very much a he's very much a mechanical. I mean, it's interesting that that's what that says about light on yoga, because one of the books that we worked out of in Noah's training was light on yoga. Noah's very technically sound. And then his kind of spiritual mentor is Douglas Brooks. Uh Douglas, I believe, teaches at Princeton or taught there somewhere on some high level academic on the East Coast. But Douglas goes to... uh, India a lot and Douglas does kind of the the philosophical spiritual aspect of Noah's training uh-huh. and Douglas does no Hatha really yeah he does zero he, he, he meditates he was almost joking he'd made a little joke about it like we did a <laughs> seminar with him and he just like joked about how he does zero postural yoga well I want to talk about that too because yeah. I think that's interesting yeah I thought it was kind of interesting too um would Noah characterize his discipline as is that Anusara? I believe Noah was Noah was a student 
or disciple of John Friend. And John Friend started Anusara Yoga, which our mother was a disciple of him as well. But John got into some hot water and he's been exiled. So he was... And Anusara no longer exists. Interesting. And there's all these great teachers that t- that trained with John. And now John does some new thing called like Bow Spring up in Colorado or something. So he has some new practice. Uh-huh. But he had a major, major um, yoga exile. practice called, yeah, exile, but also his practice Anusara, which a lot of, uh, like Anthony Benin, I believe Anthony was yeah. with John and yeah noah our mother so so moving through this timeline in 1965 a revision of u.s law removed the 1924 quota on indian immigration opening our shores to a new wave of eastern teachers in 1966 amrit desai founded the yoga society of pennsylvania and later Kripalu Yoga Ashram. You know about that? I think I've heard of it, yeah. Swami Rama amazed researchers at the prestigious Menninger Foundation in 1970. He talks about this in the book, uh, Breath. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Swami Rama um, at the Menninger Foundation in 1970, when tests showed he can control his autonomic nervous system functions, including heartbeat, pulse, and skin temperature through his breath. Right. And he just walked in there one day. Yeah. And said, hey, everybody, I can do this. Yeah. And they they were like, really? And I remember that. Tested him. And he sure as hell do all this in stuff. In Nestor's book, Breath, which is a good book. Yes, James talk, Nestor, talk Breath, highly recommend. Uh, 1966, Swami Sachi Dananda, yeah. another of Swami Sivananda's disciples, arrived in New York for a couple of days and ended up staying permanently. His Integral Yoga Institute now includes an ashram in rural Virginia and over 40 branches worldwide. Sachi Dananda opened the Woodstock Festival in 1969, echoing Vivekananda's greeting of 75 years earlier, my beloved sisters and brothers, looking like an aging hippie himself with flowing hair and beard. He provided a living example of a life dedicated to spirit. It was just what many young people were hungering for. Also at Woodstock, I believe Yogi Bhajan Uh showed up teaching kundalini yoga i'd be surprised if this doesn't mention budget Satchidananda's the he's kind of the one that i feel like a lot of people have seen he's got the big beard and the long hair uh, you've you've reckoned you would you've seen photos of him uh-huh Satchidananda, of course is Satchit ananda awareness consciousness bliss Love that. but that's also defined in many different ways truth Chit, chit, consciousness, Ananda, aware. I mean, there's like a bunch of yeah, different definitions. Anandamide, the bliss molecule. Yeah. Ramdas begins his spiritual quest, becomes a Pied Piper for American youth. The former mm. Harvard professor left on a pilgrimage to India in the late '60s as Richard Alpert 
He returned with a guru and a new identity. His 1970 tour of college campuses and his book, Be Here Now, established the spiritual quest as a lifestyle for a new generation of seekers. Yeah. By the 70s, you could find yoga and spiritual teachings everywhere. <laughs> Baba Hari Das in Santa Cruz, California, known as the Silent Sage, Baba Hari Das founded Mount Madonna to provide residential yoga programs. Patabi Joyce exposes Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga to America in 1975. Yeah. So Vinyasa just means flow. That's what you do if you go into pretty much any yoga studio these days. You're most likely going to do some sort of vinyasa, vinyasa flow class, practice. Yeah. And I believe Ashtanga is like the eight limbs. It's like an eight, uh, I, I'm pretty sure. So there are eight limbs of yoga. Yeah, that that's a whole thing. There's like a, like the, the science is broken down into eight different parts. That I can't, I don't really know off the top of my head. All right, we'll save that till we know it. Yeah. TKV, around that same time, TKV, Desi Kachar. Am I saying that right? Desi Kachar. Desi Kachar, son of the great master, Sri Krishnamacharya, <laughs> brought his Vini Yoga to the West. Vini? Vini Yoga. V-I-N-I? Yep. Interesting. I've never heard of that. And then they they finish this off with, mm. yeah, they don't even mention Yogi Bhajan. Yeah, I mean, that's, I know he was there. that's huge because you brought up Kundalini and Bhajan. Kundalini is a huge, is a major American practice. That's where the, they wear white. And I would imagine there's a lot of Kriyas. There's a lot of breath, breath Kriyas in Kundalini. Yeah. There's a stigma and a, uh, maybe I shouldn't even say that. What? There's just a lot with Kundalini, you know, well, I guess it's worth saying, you know, because I was actually thinking about this the other day, how not tapped in people are with their breath. Mm -hmm. So there's a thing with, they say like people that do Kundalini, Kundalini kind of get a little wacky because oh, yeah. it's so much breath work it's a lot of like <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of like high-pitched breathing exercises right but you know you can like you can really i mean we're already doing that i mean we already you know went yeah. from wim hof to the 26 and 2 breathing in a 150 degree room you know but I did reiki the other day and the and the woman that I did the reiki with yesterday actually mm-hmm we were talking after and, you know, I think she's kind of just getting started. So we did like a complimentary class, but she's definitely, she's done it for a little bit. And she was telling me how my breath was almost like shocking to her because mm. she was just like people that get on this table, they have their breath. They it's can't just breathe. like, they, I have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. It's a miracle if you're tapped into your breath. Yeah. And I would venture to say <laughs> what? Everything. I mean, I was going to say yoga is all about the breath, the physical, mental, and spiritual, but 
It's all about the breath. Life is about the breath. And that's really what's so powerful about the physical practice, which is why I think it's so funny when the gurus laugh or scoff at the physical, at the asana practice. Oh, right. We were going to talk about that. Yeah. Of yoga. Yeah. Because there's so much in it and there's so yeah. much to be gathered from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a powerful practice. Yeah. For instance, when you're in that hot room and you're doing that posture. Mm-hmm. And your mind is going, there is no fucking way I can hold this position one second longer. Yeah. You're so uncomfortable. Right. You literally feel like your body's going to explode from the heat. Yeah. From how hot it is. Yeah. And you just keep breathing. Yeah. And you find your way through it. And then by some miracle of, call it a miracle of the breath. You find yourself on the other side of that discomfort. Yeah. Totally born anew. Yeah. But what's profound, what's even more profound about that is that is a microcosm of the macrocosm of life. Yeah. How many times throughout the day do you find yourself in a position where you're thinking to yourself, I can't take one more step. Right. I'm so angry. I'm so fucking uncomfortable. I'm so sad. I'm so anxious. I'm so frustrated. I don't know how I can possibly go on. And then you just keep breathing. And you find yourself on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're really... I mean, I I think it would be reasonable to say you're selling yourself really short not doing postural yoga. I think so. I mean, how could you not? There's a, It's an immense world of... I think so. I mean, so. that's what I thought when Douglas, you know, God bless Douglas, he's an incredible teacher, and, you know, of I, course. Could, I could still reach out. I mean, I would love to have a conversation with him about... You should probably have him on the podcast, actually. You know why why he doesn't do <laughs> postural yoga? I don't know if it's because you're like a purist, although that doesn't make sense because Hatha's it's part of it. Hatha's as pure as any of the other kind of yogas, you know. So I don't know if Sadguru did very much postural yoga. I don't know. I, I I've never actually seen him like you know. God, he's got millions of videos i've never seen him do a a hatha yoga video but having met him a few times he's definitely physically oh yeah he's like clear i'd be surprised if he doesn't he he's a he's an athlete for sure and i think did did you ask him or is it is it in his first book where he talks about his physical yoga practice and he says it's just a super basic hatha practice possibly i don't know and what but he never tell he never says like what that means or what that looks like or what postures yeah what asanas he does yeah well i mean i could see how you know just doing sun salutations surya namaskar three of those a day you're doing your hatha you know absolutely this and then down and down dog and oh yeah so Absolutely. No, without a doubt. I mean, 
all of the postures are a portal into the self and open you up in certain ways. Um, something that struck me as I have descended into the plant medicine world and the psychedelics and all of that, where, and once you begin to peel back the layers and investigate these molecules like DMT or LSD, DMT, which it's theorized, I don't know if this has been proven or known, DMT is produced in the pineal gland or by the pituitary gland. The pineal and the pituitary come together to make up the third eye. Um, lots of very potent hormones are produced in those two glands. Serotonin, dopamine, I believe, as well. LSD is a serotonin mimicker. And what the ancient yogic text talks about is through the physical practice of yoga, you activate your body's production of these elixirs and nectars of God. Which to me translates to the postures activate the glands to produce these molecules, these spirit and God molecules that we produce in our bodies mm -hmm. to give us that sensation. So it's not a coincidence or a mystery why doing a yogic practice, a physical yoga, pra an asana practice, yeah. you come out of it at the end and you feel really high. You feel loose. You feel energized. You feel incredibly good. Right. And it's because you've activated all of these neurochemicals that are now surging through your heart, your body, your mind, your bloodstream. Yeah. Giving you profound sense of clarity, peace, balance, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So I would imagine all of the gurus meditation is a is a staple of their practices. Yeah, well their life is meditation. Right, exactly. Yeah. Not only are they getting the the moments of quiet stillness, but they're also in a constant state of meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I think the original postures were lotus posture and shavasana. Uh-huh. And then does does it have a hatha section in the Gita? I don't uh, think it does. No. Okay, so so that's interesting. That's all the philosophy of yoga. Right. But you would think it talks about the different kinds of yoga, but it doesn't have a hatha section. No, yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, mom has said, because our mother is a yoga scholar and been teaching yoga for a really long time, and she's a phenomenal yoga teacher. Call her a yogini. Yeah, yogi, yogini, yeah. And um, she mentioned something about how the Russian gymnasts met the yogis and that's where the pot that's where the more elaborate postures kind of came from interesting there's some history with that interesting because when did Hatha become Hatha mm. I mean Bhagavan talks about doing Hatha but where did that come from like where did his teacher find the Hatha and if Hatha's not in the Gita clearly it's not it's not part of the so-called original yoga practice, so to speak, you know? 
Well, here's an interesting question. We need. I want to do some research here's on that. Here's an interesting question on that I have for you. So, Bhagavan talks about he'd wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and he'd do his Hatha yoga practice. Mm-hmm. And when Ram Das, when he took Ram Das to meet Neem Karoli, and Neem Karoli said, basically, teach this guy. Mm-hmm. Like, get him rolling, basically. And he would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning with Ram Das, and they'd do fucking asanas for like three hours. Mm-hmm. Was Neem doing, was Neem Karoli Baba doing a Hatha practice? Not at that point. Right. But at some point, he probably understood the importance or the merit in a physical practice. I mean, there's something interesting about what you're saying, how the Hatha practice opens you up to deeper dimensions of yourself. And yes. then, and then you know, you bringing up Neem Karoli, you look at photos of Neem Karoli, which we've laughed about. <laughs> His legs are contorted in ways that you would have to be, you would have to have some level of anatomical intimacy to be able to, I mean, he's sitting and his fucking leg is up by his chin. Yeah, you're not even sure how he's in the position. So I don't know, you know, there's something, I mean, how do you feel? Because there's something for me where, see, this is interesting. I've thought about this. I've thought about how working out can be a little bit um, dicey to the spiritual path in a way. Because if I'm lifting weights a lot, I can really get into the more gross aspect of myself. Yeah. As opposed to the more subtle aspect of myself. Yeah. I mean, you're doing more yoga now than I think you've ever done in your life. Yeah. Which maybe you should talk about why you're doing that or why you've gotten to that place. But don't you like there's something that I feel gets unlocked when I do the the asanas, when mm-hmm. I do the postures. Yeah. Where I can feel my body more intimately. Yeah. But also if I'm like lifting weights, I feel like that sort of takes me a little bit farther away. Mm. Um what are your thoughts on that? Looking at it from the the esoteric perspective, which the yogic philosophy is so synergistic. It's I mean, it's just it's another discipline of esoterica. Just another language. It's all the same information. So there are four Four planes of being or four truths. Spiritual plane, emotional plane, mental plane, physical plane. Now, each one of these planes functions independently, but certain planes are also interdependent on other planes' Mm -hmm. state of balance and Mm well-being for them to be functioning properly. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, in the current climate of America or Western culture, where people's physical bodies are in complete disarray Mm. as a result of lack of movement, sedentary lifestyles, 
shit food. Yeah. F- eating eating junk that has no nutrients in it. Mm-hmm. The body is in a state of complete disarray and decay. That, therefore, so when you talk about that is the physical plane or the earthly dimension, our mm-hmm. body is the earth, our body temple. Your mental plane can't be functioning at a high level if your physical plane is in such disarray. Mm-hmm. So that's where the asanas become mm-hmm. so important. And the kriyas. And the kriyas. Yeah, and and the, these these this, pathways of purifying right. the physical the, vessel. The asceticisms, which we were talking about on last podcast. Which to me, the hot yoga, it's a totally ascetic practice. Yeah, yeah. You're complete, it's a complete detox yeah. purification of your physical vehicle right right which clarifies and polishes the crystal of the mental plane Mm. the emotional plane the whole universe functions through the emotional plane it's all feeling the mental plane is really about past experiences future endeavors managing those two poles to find yourself in the present moment able to balance each one of those things to formulate a clear perspective on the present moment Mm. the emotional plane functions in its complete own rhythm and energy the entire universe functions through the emotional body your emotional body belief, which is really your another word for that is your subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. The subconscious mind could also be interpreted as the emotional body. That functions on premises developed through past experiences that now deductions are made by the subconscious mind to formulate your beliefs about the current state of your being of your world of your reality Mm. so for instance the the kid who grew up in the impoverished household who can never get girls views money success and attraction through the lens of that paradigm does that make sense yeah when they get older like their whole and then so as they get older and they accumulate wealth or they become really successful and then they get women they now their subconscious mind equates their wealth and status to their physical attraction that's yeah. sort of a general example. I'm not sure that hits home totally. Well, I think it's what's coming up for me. First of all, I think it's in- interesting how all of the planes of being are interrelated from the spiritual, emotional, uh, mental, and physical. But then also what's interesting to me about this is that how yoga has shown its face in America, particularly, let's talk about America. Yoga has shown its face through its physical form. Yes. It didn't show its face through bhakti, which is, you know, worshiping God, you know, the guru. It didn't show its face through, you know, karma yoga, 
mm. or, you know, whatever that, it, you know, anyway, it, it, yoga in America is prevalent as a physical practice. And I say that because of what you said, how, what deep disarray the, the majority of the Western physical specimen is in. Yes. And to kind of challenge my point, my point about physical being almost a, Physic, the physical practice kind of moving that can move you away from, uh, the spirit that could actually not be true because it's almost, it's like you're saying, if you get the physical house in order, you're only going to go up from there. Yes. Because once you're physically in order, you're like, oh, well, what now? Oh, my mind. So yes. now what do I like? So physicality is a really amazing gateway. Absolutely. Into cleaning out those other planes of consciousness. Absolutely. And I will say that you build the foundation in the physical plane. Mm -hmm. You build the foundation of belief in the subconscious mind through the physical actions. Mm -hmm. Getting the body temple in order sets the stage to get everything else in order. But going back to your point of the difference between, say, lifting weights and practicing yoga, the asana practice of yoga, there, as with everything, and this is a big thing for me too. This is, it's interesting you say this. You know, this is a this is a big practice for me because when we commit ourselves to developing our body in a specific way, specifically through fitness routines like weightlifting or whatever it might be, even the asana practice of yoga on its face, you immediately make your God your body, mm -hmm. which could dilute or derail you on your spiritual evolution. Right, right. Because yeah. you get trapped in, what does my chest look yeah, like? Yeah, What's yeah, my yeah. body fat like? Exactly. How big are my biceps? Exactly. How big are my fucking quads? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting you say that, man. I've just, as I've examined that in myself, because I've always had this, I guess you could call it fat kid syndrome where I felt throughout my life like my body has never been good enough. Mm -hmm. And I've been chasing this dream body that I've been envisioning. Uh-huh. This perfect physique. I have at times in my life made my God, my body, spending two hours in the weight room. Right. And... I've really surrendered into that, totally surrendered into that. And yoga, I keep coming back to yoga and I'm committing more and more of myself to yoga. I'm doing this yoga teacher training in August, a 300 hour hot yoga, 26 and two training, which I'm fucking stoked about. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and as I've surrendered that, because I have seen, felt, and experienced the truth of myself 
through the yoga practice. Now that doesn't mean I still don't enjoy lifting weights, mm -hmm. but I might just lift weights for like 30 minutes now. Yeah. Just to feel good, just to keep myself strong. Mm -hmm. Hit the 15 to 25 pull-ups, hit the 100 push-ups a day. I got the X3 bar, which I can get a super intense muscular workout in in 10 to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And my body is just transforming and I keep surrendering into, thank you God for this perfect mind-body vehicle that I've been gifted with. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I look in the mirror and I feel whole and I feel satisfied with who I am and what I am. Mm -hmm. Now, but that being said, having played football at a very high level, trained with some of the best, most elite strength and conditioning coaches on the planet, done the the running stadium sprints till I vomit everything up. When you push yourself to your physical limits and then go through those limits, past your edge, you learn about the infinite, eternal strength, resilience, limitlessness of the human organism, mm -hmm. which for me, that's a spiritual experience, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, yoga is simply because of the positions that you get your body into. I'm talking, I say yoga. And when I'm, uh, and I understand high yoga people, that can get confusing because like we said, Douglas Brooks, who's a very high yogi, doesn't even do the asana practice. I'm talking about the asana practice. Getting yourself into those positions unlocks things in the physical body because your body is this vessel, highly intelligent organism. Every cell carries information of every single moment you've ever experienced in your life. Yeah. The traumas that we experience, they get stored in the physical body in places. Mm -hmm. We don't know where, but that's why when you get into a certain posture and all of a sudden memories come up, thoughts come up, anxieties come up, sadness comes up. You might find yourself in a pigeon posture and burst into tears. Yeah. Because so, it just opens you up. It aligns your chakras in a certain way. Your chakras, your energy centers of your body. You've got seven of them. It opens you up in such a way that you tap into that subconscious mind. That's why the yogic asana practice, and for me in particular, the hot yoga, because the heat just adds this ceremonial element to it where there's no escaping yourself mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're forced to confront everything and anything you've ever been through and everything you are. And that's truly what yoga is all about. Yoga is all about being in the ebb and flow of life. Yoga means union. If it takes the physical asana practice 
to align, to unify the mind, body, and spirit, so be it. Yeah. In America, how many times, Gus, how many times have you heard me say it until I finally started doing it? I don't have time to meditate. <laughs> I can't sit still. Yeah. I meet people who are longtime yogis who say who still say that. Yeah. And they're looking for other ways to access these deeper dimensions of themselves. So, okay, you can't sit and meditate. All right, try some yoga. Get into this fucking posture and just sit there and breathe for five, ten breaths. Yeah. Do a down dog for, and just breathe in a down, in a fucking rock solid down dog for ten breaths. Yeah. You'll find, you'll learn something about yourself. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I think it's so funny. I always think back to this. I feel like you were there, but we had just moved to LA. Shit felt really chaotic and exhausting. And it was Saturday or Sunday morning, a gray day in LA. Mom drove us into Hollywood right on Highland and Franklin to this church for a yoga class at about 8 o'clock in the morning with Rudy Mattia. Mm -hmm. And that was the first yoga class I'd ever been to. Oh, really? <laughs> and it was Rudy Mattia, former fucking Marine sniper turned yogi. Yeah. Teaching this power yoga class. Funny. And it really planted a seed, man. Yeah, yeah, I know. For it was you. such a powerful experience. Yeah. Um, And for me... I was talking to Joshua about this and, and he's been just the one day he just shot me a text he's, and he said, brother, you're such a high shaman of the physical body temple. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And like, that's. I believe that we can access all the dimensions of our being through the physical body. Um, and I love yoga. I love the practice of yoga for the reason of being a divine mechanism of tapping into the subconscious. Yeah. And the subconscious, the emotional body is truly our power center. Because whatever the subconscious believes, it is at our service. Whatever it believes, it is going to attract and manifest in our reality. Mm. But that's tricky because we don't know, we don't necessarily know unless we're actively engaging with it, what the subconscious truly believes or feels. Yeah. You could say you want your life to be something. But if your emotional body, if your subconscious is not in that energetic vibration of belief, mm -hmm. you'll always be coming up short with that. And the mechanism by which we reprogram the subconscious, the emotional body into believing what we want it to believe is through physical action, action on the earthly plane, on the material physical plane. Yeah. What do you think? I hear you. 
Do you feel that way about yoga? Oh, I mean. It's our life, dude. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's my life. Yeah, I feel, I feel, I don't know what I feel about it. I just feel like it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's a major aspect of what I do and how I be. Yeah. So from Vivekanand, we'll close out with this. Okay. From living at the source, yoga teachings of Vivekananda, he kicks it off. Chapter one, who am I? Eternal covering, oh, excuse me, external coverings. We see then that this human being is composed first of this external covering, the body. Second, the finer body, consisting of mind, intellect, and egoism. Behind them is the real self of man. We have seen that all the qualities and powers of the gross body are borrowed from the mind. And the mind, the finer body, borrows its powers and luminosity from the soul standing behind. We believe that every being is divine, is God. Every soul is a sun covered over with clouds of ignorance. The difference between soul and soul is owing to the difference in density of these layers of clouds. The mistake is that we cling to the body when it is the spirit that is really immortal. Yeah. Good shit. Well, that's kind of what we were talking about, how making your body your God, you know, because he talks a lot about not identifying with the body so heavily. Yeah. So I think it is a delicate, it's a balance. But then the body can be a great gateway in. Yes. Why was Rudy curious to you? Because he was like a sniper and then he turned it like it was like a complete kind of... Yeah. It showed oxymoron of yeah exact in my interpretation right right it showed me that an alpha male could have this right this deep spiritual yeah essence yeah that makes sense yeah and being a warrior was so much more complex and deep than I could have ever imagined it to be right right that's cool yeah, I love that um all right brother yeah. Well, I feel like we'll revisit this. Yeah. But I thought that was fun. I, I We haven't really had a deep discussion on yoga. And yeah. From the, the asana standpoint. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? Vivekananda came here in 1893, gave this whole speech that blew people away. That was all about the psycho-spiritual philosophy of yoga. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the physical practice didn't come for 60 years or so. But even though the seed of the philosophy of the non-physical practice was planted long before the physical practice, it still revealed itself in its dominant form to be the physical practice in America. Yeah. Well, at least so far right now. But then it, yeah. it makes you think 
how because nothing goes away and the ripples of that have spread out through eternity Mm -hmm. so perhaps we're doing better than we realize oh yeah yeah i think we're just getting started in the west or in america with what spirituality is Uh uh-huh I think we're literally just now seeing that it's a possibility mm. or, or the masses are seeing that it's a possibility. Yeah. I think that's pretty obvious actually. Yeah. That there's a whole range of, of um, different kinds of human beings, you know, and possibilities with the identity politics and the gender playing and, I think it's all part of it. It's all part of the awakening of spirituality. Yeah. And I think postural yoga was kind of a introduction into that awakening in America. Because we're such a physical culture. Right. We're such a sports, physically dominant, we're, the, we're, the, we're the best at war. You know, we, we need to go in through the exterior. Yes. We're like an outside in culture as opposed to an inside out culture. It's a great point. Awesome, bro. Sweet. All right, man. All right, brother. Love it. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. All right, y'all. Hope you guys enjoyed that. More to come as always. Um, Check out Gus's newsletter realitynow.substack.com always great insight there would love to see you guys join the power tribe on patreon patreon.com forward slash eds britain got bonus ebb and flow content guided meditations yoga flows breath work exercises I'm also offering ebb and flow coaching. Those are one hour, one-on-one sessions each month. Limited availability there. So if you're interested, check it out. Ah, of course, dude. We've got merch, baby. Head over to higherpowerworkshop.com for all the latest merch. We got t-shirts, hoodies, totes. We're working on a yoga mat. Lots of love to you guys. We'll see y'all on the flip side. Peace.